0: We got to unpack a little bit last week that Jesus is the true and better, and he always will be. And that the entire story, the entire narrative of the scripture from Old Testament, from Genesis, all the way through is just pointing to him, all the way. And every picture we get to see through these incredible people, incredible pe- people made in the image of God, used of the Lord to touch people's lives, every one of them is actually pointing to the great king. And the writer of Hebrews is writing this letter to remind them of this reality because they're experiencing a moment of intense hardship and persecution. And it's one of the interesting things that we experience where when you become a follower of Jesus, not it, it doesn't mean that all of life becomes super easy. And fun. In fact, there's some real challenge and hardship that comes with giving your life to someone else, to saying, I'm not in control, but you're in control, and giving our heart to Him. Jesus was the true and better, and so we want to reach for Him. So the writer of Hebrews sets that entire thing up, and then he but he gives a warning in chapter two. We got to hear it at the very end of last week. But it says in Hebrews chapter two, verse one: Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. If Jesus is true and better, why do we drift? Why do we drift? We all drift. If you're a follower of Jesus, I can, I can, uh, I, I put all the money I got which is not much, but I put all the money I got on the fact that you've had moments where your heart really was locked in with the beauty and the majesty of Jesus, but you've had moments in your life where your heart has drifted. We've all been there. We all experience, and they're experiencing that here as they walk through the pain of real life. Things aren't the way we want it yet. Life isn't the way that we want it, and there's this lie that gets whispered over and over and over again. When life isn't going the way that we want it to, and there's hardship and pain as we experience it, and here's the lie. God won't do what he promised he said he will do. Here's the lie. You better fend for yourself. There's the lie. And that whisper is going on constantly. God's not who he says he is, and he's not going to come through the way he says he will, so you better watch out for yourself. If you want to know why we tend to drift is because there is this thing in us living in this broken world that this whisper from the enemy that says, I need to take back over in order to have, to, to experience life, to have what everyone else has. And as we look around, there's a tendency to pick that up, that God isn't trustworthy. That's the lie. He's not worth your trust that your circumstances, my circumstances, they're not like we want them to be. And so he's not enough. And if my health and my relationships and my career and my finances and my failings and shortcomings, my addictions, there's always something that's not quite right. And the tendency is to listen to the lie and to pick up. And say things that aren't right here. So what do we do? When life isn't going well, that's what the enemy is going to lie. It's a simple but effective lie. God can't be trusted with your life. There's the lie. God can't be trusted with your life. And so the writer of Hebrews is actually trying to address this very common question we all experience. Can we trust God when life is not going our way? Can we do it? That's the question. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, I'm so glad you asked because he has some thoughts about that. All right. When your relationships aren't right and the money isn't right and the schedule isn't right and the health isn't right. What do we do? How do we walk and not drift and not try to take up control of our own lives so that we drift from him? And he makes a this compelling argument will jump down to verse five. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter two, verse five It says for listen, for it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we were speaking. It's been testified somewhere. What is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, In putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Now, let me just unpack what he's trying to say here. He's saying, God didn't make this world for angels. He didn't do this thing for angels. His aim, his Glorious, powerful, amazing purposes in this world are not about angels. They're about us. And there's this moment where there's this promise that everything is going to be brought into subjection under us, meaning there's this partnership ruling and reigning with God, but it's not. We're not experiencing it yet. And for a temporary moment, we were made a little lower than the angels. Not experiencing it, not seeing it, not seeing the fulfillment of that. You look at life, life's hard. Nothing's, it feels like sometimes nothing's under subjection under my feet, right? I can't even grow the plant in my house, right? It feels like that at times. There's not, we're not living in, like where I'm dominating here and this is awesome and we're experiencing this fullness, the reason and the ways that God designed and made us. That doesn't feel like the experience. We all feel that. He said, you made you a little lower, the angels for a moment, because it's we're not experiencing it yet. Now, when I say angels, it's entirely possible that you think of uh, little chubby babies with harps, rosy cheeks. That's when you think of angels. But (laughs) anybody has a chubby baby? You probably have like little bookends. It's like, you know, you know, or whatever. Sorry, sorry. You understand what I'm? You know what? It's a it's a cute idea. But it's actually not true. If you actually look at, if you look at what scripture says, what happens when angels show up? People are like, don't kill me. When they show up, what do they have to say every time? We're talking about Michael. We're talking about Gabriel. What does they say? Do not fear because they're cowering. All right. That's the angels. Hear this. Your destiny is above the angels. We have no idea the glory we're headed to. No idea. Haven't even conjured in our minds. We're in for a moment, a little lower than the angels, not experiencing that fullness yet, but there's a moment coming and he's saying, you gotta hold on. Don't drift. Know who you are. You are made for glory. It's coming. But you have to believe that. This is a real faith. This is not some dumb religion thing we do where we show up on Sundays. God's coming, saying, come on, know what you're made for higher than the angels. uh, The scripture actually says angels are like groaning to see the revelation of the sons and daughters of God, hungry to see it. Can't believe they're like peering into this story, just going, God, how could this possibly be. There's ones that are so undone. They just say, holy, holy, holy. That's all they can say. They just cry out, holy, holy. It's all they can say because this plan's unveiled. That's who you and I are right now. It's not just in the age to come. I thank God for that. It's going to be, we get the fullness of it in the age to come. We see Jesus face to face. We're going to have that. We're going to taste that. But that's something that you and I get to have right now. And we drift because we're trying to, like, control it and have it and fix it. And the Lord's saying, no, hold fast to who you are. That's what you and I have. The problem is we're not always experiencing it yet. When we go through hardship, the tendency is to believe, God, where are you? And that's a healthy, legitimate question, right? This is all the brothers and sisters throughout the scripture. They're going, God, where are you? It's not working. It's not working. You said you're the best and I'm in jail. That's what Jacob would say. Joseph would say, right? There's all these moments where the people are longing to see and experience it. He's going, trust me, keep holding on. That Hebrews chapter 2 Verse 8, that last little part says, At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. We don't see it yet. We aren't experiencing it. And so we want to try to take up our own lives. In fact, I'd just say this you might be in a moment of hardship right now. Like it's hard, it's difficult. You feel like you're in the fire, you're in the thick of it, you're going through it right now. And the father in heaven is just saying, trust me and hold on to me. Not hold on out there. Trust me and hold on to me. I have promises. Hold on. So here's the question. How? How do we trust him? How do we take active steps towards trusting God? In a way where it is aligning ourselves up with the promise that we have in him, how do we do that? And the writer is going to outline four rich, beautiful, clear ways that we get to just line up with how we trust him. He's going to just unveil these a piece at a time, and all of them we could take more time than what we have to get into. but here's what he says: number one, I'm going to say. You and I have to, we have to look on our king who takes on our mess. We have to look to the king. Verse nine, here's what he says. But we see him. Everybody say, see him. See him. For a little while he was made lower. This is crazy. He was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. He's made a little lower in the angels. Why? So that you and I could know God doesn't stay at a distance. God doesn't stay far off out there. If your God, if you're here in this room and your God is way out there, hear this. That's not the God of the universe. The God of the universe came and dwelt among us. He got right into the middle of the mess. He was crowned king. He's the king, but he's the one who comes near. And you don't have to do anything because he's done it all. He's accomplished it all. And we actually get to come and say, listen, it's entirely possible. I can't do anything about the mess. In fact, sometimes I think it's helpful just to confess. Listen, I don't have what it takes to beat this thing or to win this thing or to conquer this thing or to defeat this thing. I don't have it. But Jesus was crowned with glory and honor, and he came into the mess, gave his life so that you and I could be fully victorious. We can come and say, I don't have what it takes, but he gave his life. Jesus conquered all of it for me. Therefore, I have everything to overcome. I have everything. I don't have what it takes, but God does, and he gives himself to me. It's powerful. What king gets in the mess? What one that's crowned gets in the mess? No, what do kings do? They send everyone else into the messes. They stay in the castle and they send everyone to fix the messes. They send everyone out to go and accomplish the and fix the problem. Jesus says, no, I came into it and I took it all on. We said, we can't do it. He said, but in me, you can do anything. In me, in me, anything you need, I have for you. With me, see me. So just look on me, see me. God has literally faced it all to the point of death. So that, and I don't know if, you, if you're anything like me, uh, but the easiest thing in the world is to get really down. In all the problems and to look at the problem and try to solve the problem and fix the problem. And to maybe even feel overwhelmed by the problem, by the thing that's not working right, by the internal thing that's broken, by the external thing that is coming against you. And we want to look at it and try to fix it. And the author here is saying for a moment, would you not just see the thing, see him lift your eyes and see him who has already conquered and trust him. And trust him. Come and say, I it's not my way. I can't do this, but in you I can do anything because you're good. Then the author says this. Number two, you and I have to ask. We have to ask for our trailblazer who goes before us. We have to ask for our trailblazer who goes before us. Hebrews chapter two, verse 10 says, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Word founder. um, is actually a deep, deep word it has rich, rich meaning, but this actual word founder is actually the picture of a trailblazer who one who goes before, one who stands in front prepares a way, and then you and I get to walk in it and Jesus is standing and going before us, even now. You can look down, skip skip down to verse 14. It says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook, hear this, Jesus partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. The enemy wants you and I as slaves, bound up, locked up, not operating in the fullness of what God's designed. And the trailblazer, the founder, the trailblazer says, no way I'm going before you. I'm clearing the path for you. That's what it means when it says the founder of our faith. I don't know if you've you know you've ever watched a you ever like kind of like a thriller or scary movie before, and there's always somebody they're investigating the problem or the evil thing or the scary thing, and somebody has to go first. And usually you're like that dude's gone, you know, like you're watching just going, yep, sorry, bro, you went first. So, you know, the heroes, you know, the one that you're really pulling for is at the end because somebody's got to put their neck out there. Mm. You know, and you kind of feel sorry. And Jesus is going, listen to me. The enemy wants you in slavery. Slavery. But I'm the trailblazer that goes before you. I stand in front. I create the path so you don't have to live that way. That's not who you are. That's not, you've been made for great glory. So trust me and go Behind me, I blaze the trail When you and I wake up first thing in the morning. What you and I need to be able to do is to say, I'm powerless to conquer this. Whatever I'm facing, whatever mountains in front of you, I'm powerless. But there was a king who goes before me and blazes the trail on my behalf and I go behind him. He's ready to take on the arrows, the darts, whatever the scary thing is around the corner in the movie. Jesus isn't worried about it. He's got it taken care of. He's ready to go before you. Every one of us has got to invite him in and ask him, go before me. What are you facing that you need a trailblazer to go in front of you right now? What are you facing right now? Maybe it's something really broken inside of you. Maybe it's something that is really scary anxiety-inducing in front of you. Whatever it is, we get to come to the trailblazer, the founder, and say, I'm waking up this morning. Lord, I'm asking, will you go before me? Will you go in front of me? I don't know what's around the corner. It feels scary. I don't know how to fix this thing. I don't know how to make it right. Every time I try to pick up the problem or go forward, it never works out. So I'm putting the thing down, and I'm saying, you go. I'm inviting you to go before me, and I'm trusting you. Trusting Jesus is better. It's just better. It's a better way to live, better way to operate. And then when we go before him, he gets to go first, then you and I, we get to rest with a brother who actually is never ashamed of you. Hebrews chapter 2, you can jump back to verse 11. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why, hear this, church, he is not ashamed to call them brothers. You need to hear this. Jesus is not ashamed of you. Yeah, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know how bad I messed up. Well, good news. Jesus totally knows. I don't. Jesus totally knows all the greatest parts of you, all the darkest broken parts of you. For anyone that calls on the name of Jesus and says, I'm broken, I need forgiveness and wholeness and life and salvation. And I need you for rescue when you and I do that we are fundamentally changed and we become a part of his family and he's not ashamed of his brothers. I love that. I don't know if you've ever, um, you've been reading the Bible, you come up on the genealogies, and, you know, especially in the New Testament. There's a couple of spots where they're just naming off names and you're like, can we just get through this, please? You're just trying to get through the names. It's like, man, that, that's neat that you know who your great, great, great grandmama is or whatever, but like, I'm just ready to get through this thing to the good part. I think there's, like, well, listen, there's a couple of reasons why they give us the genealogies. One is just to show that Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled exactly what the Messiah said, was said to be. That's number one. But there's a bigger part. The reason they give us those genealogies is because that's the most messed up family you've ever seen. You go back, read the stories of these genealogies. It's kind of dark. (laughs) I'm just being honest. Adulterers and rapists and illegitimate children, unmarried moms and massive failures and bad decision makers, the whole lot of them. That's Jesus' family. And what Jesus, what the scripture's saying is, Jesus doesn't stand and go, gosh, I'm so ashamed. No, he says, I came to take all the shame. These are my brothers. These are my sisters. These are my people. I came for you so that you don't have to hide in shame from your broken past. You actually get to come and step into this incredible future I designed for you. That's the point. It's so amazing. There's a a moment in John chapter 20. After Jesus was crucified, he's risen. He comes back to life. Mary's distraught. She's gone. Mary Magdalene has gone to the tomb. The tomb's empty. She's distraught. She thinks that his body was stolen and Jesus sneaks up on her. And says, "Why are you crying?" And she's like, "They took his body. Do you know where it is?" She thinks he's a gardener. That's actually what he. She thinks he's the gardener. And she's like, "Do you know?" Which is like, if you're asking the gardener, you're like desperate. Where you know? Do you know where they've taken him with his body? And then he says, "He goes, Mary." And she looks up, and it's him. And she kind of wants to like rush him and hug him. And he's like, "You can't touch me yet. I've not been full. I haven't gone through the full process yet." Which is, uh, you know, let that blow your mind. He's like living in some state, uh, it's probably like, honestly, like uh, Ark of the Covenant, touch that thing dead, right? You just don't wanna, you don't wanna mess with that. So he's like, I love you, girl, just hang tight, okay? And, but I love what he says to her. This is so good. I cry over this dumb phrase. It's not dumb, it's so powerful. He says, go to my brothers and tell them God's doing this powerful work. And I'm going to go to the father. He says, go tell my brothers. Where are the brothers? They've left him. They all scattered. They denied him. They ran from him. They laid down their faith. They walked away from association with him. The only one left was John. And he's just there to take care of Jesus's mom. Every other one of them have scattered, failed miserably, left the faith. And Jesus says, go tell my brothers. Those mess ups, those failures, I got more for them. They have no idea. Hold on. Hold on. He wasn't ashamed of them. He's not ashamed of you. There's nothing you could do to make him ashamed. He may say, hey, I've got some things I want to clean and fix. I got some ways I want to grow you and give you a fresh identity. But listen to me, I don't, you don't live in shame because I'm not ashamed of you. Come on, you're my brother, you're my sister. That's who you are. And then he finishes, the writer finishes, he says, listen, you and I, we gotta receive the high priest who gives mercy and peace. Verse 17, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers. This is so good. In every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself had suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. We have a high priest who stands before God advocating on our behalf not as one who didn't go through real life, but as one who has experienced every painful thing you and I have ever experienced. And he came through it without sin so that you and I, when we receive mercy, it's not fake, it's real. The mercy of Jesus isn't fake, it's real. He knows exactly what you've gone through. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to be tired and hungry. He knows what it's like to weep. You're not even sure of what's happening in the situation. He knows what it's like to experience betrayal and rejection. He knows what it's like to be part of a dysfunctional family. He knows what it's like to be stabbed in the back by your best friends. He knows what it's like to be single long after everyone else got married, right? always the winemaker, never the bridegroom. He understands it all. He's the high priest who understands it all. So when he advocates for us, he's not advocating like, ah, try to help him out somehow, God. He stands before the father and says, these are my brothers, and I know what they're going through, and I stand before them, and I ask you to move in them you feel overwhelmed by your struggles with sin, whatever addictions are pulling on you and feel like they're crushing weights, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God and he's ready for you to bring as his brother the hardest parts of you to him because what the high priest says is, I've made propitiation for you. So as far as the east is from the west, so far have your sins been removed from you. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is my love for you who fear and trust me. That's the God we serve. That's who he is. Luke, can come up. This writer is saying, we got to look and see him. This is the call on our lives. Where are you at right now with trusting him? Not, yeah, it's, he's good, he's good. I mean, trusting him. Where's your heart at this moment? Where's my heart at this moment in truly trusting the great high priest and the brother and the trailblazer and the king? He goes before and he makes a way. And that's what he does. It's what he wants to do with us right now. So here's what we're gonna do. We have our last few minutes to actually allow the king and the trailblazer and the brother, the friend, the high priest to come and just minister to us. And so will you guys stand with me? We're gonna finish this morning with communion. And here's what I'd like um, In just a moment, I'm going to, and you guys can come up and be ready to serve. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to come and receive the elements. And uh, what I want you to do is if you'll take the elements and just bring them back to your seat and just hang on to them. We're going to take together, okay? But I want you just to now prepare your heart to meet with the Lord. He's ready to meet with you. If you don't feel comfortable receiving the elements this morning, you don't have to. There's zero pressure. You don't have to come forward. You can just stay where you're at. This is for those that have said, I I need Jesus as my Lord, King, and Savior. And I need him for forgiveness for sin and for wholeness and for a new life. And so we want to invite you into that. So uh, I'm going to pray for us. And then I want you to come when you're ready to grab the elements. And then you can just come and sit uh, in your seat. And, um, and and hang for a moment and then we'll uh, take together. So Lord, would you just prepare our hearts right now to receive? Prepare us. Would you just ask him, prepare my heart to just receive you. You are my king and you're my trailblazer. You go before me You're my brother. You're not ashamed. You're my high priest. You know it all. You know every little thing about me. And you accept me and you hold me. You clean me and make me like you. We receive that truth again. We thank you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.